Our story begins 25 years ago, in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these Seven Seals were. Then war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started, until finally a peace treaty, brokered by Princess Ravello Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home, that remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. Welcome back to the Outlands, everyone. Uh, my name is Christian Hoffer, and you are listening to Tales from the Outlands. This is a unique D&D podcast in which me, uh, my co-host uh, Luke Herr, and uh, another guest of the week uh, discuss a 18-person Dungeons & Dragons campaign that we run three nights a week. Um, so uh, this week, our guest is Mike Bartlett. Uh, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Hello, hello. Mike plays, well, we'll talk about who Mike plays in, in a bit. It's it's complicated, and you'll find out rather quickly as to why that is. Um, this podcast has um, three parts, uh, maybe two this week, maybe three. We'll see uh, how much talking we do. So we start off by uh, talking, uh, by having recaps of the past few sessions, catching you up on what's been going on in the Outlands, this mysterious region that the Outlands Exploratory Company is, well, exploring. Um, that's uh, Then we're going to go and do a character spotlight about Mike's character, and also uh, Luke as well, um, as Mike and Luke's characters are intrinsically connected at this point. And once again, you'll find out why. And then we will end with a deep dive. This week, since we have a lot to talk about, the deep dive may or may not happen. We'll see what happens. As a note, before we dive in, we do have our own website now. It's www.talesfromtheoutlands.com. And we have our own podcast feed so that you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, basically wherever you can listen to podcasts. So if you're listening to this on the unbearable weight of Nicolas Cage and other podcasts, thread one, listen to more of it, look for Tales from the Outlands on your podcatcher of choice. And if you don't find it on there, let me know and I will see about adding it. Okay. 
Um, so, um, to catch you up on what's been going on in the Outlands over the past few weeks, uh, we have a few storylines that are three groups uh, known as the Terror Team, the Buddy Brigade, and the Tomb Squad. Uh, they've been following uh, over these, uh, you know, the past few weeks. Uh, the Terror Team has been exploring this creepy village. Uh, nestled in the deepest part of the Urn foothills um, in a place known as the Goatswood. And it's this village called Granacht is protected by an entity known as the Great Goat of the Woods. And the terror team is trying to dig in and figure out what that is. Meanwhile, the Toon Squad, uh, which plays on Tuesdays, uh, is searching for the black dragon Trixie Alana, mainly because they've been given an ultimatum by the powerful magician Velez of the Void, who is a follower of the vampire Golthias, um, that if sh this group does not bring Trixie Alana to her, she's going to kill everybody. She's going to kill 18 people. I think that number is important. But I did see The Mist, which is one of those movies where it's like, oh, only 12 people are going to die. And it's like, oh, that's a lot less threatening. Than it seems. If then, like, oh, these ghosts that are out for revenge can kill everybody. Finally, uh, we have uh, there's a war brewing between the adventurers of the Outlands Exploratory Company and the Arms of Paradise, this Scientology esque cult, uh, which uh, the parties now know is associated with the Faerim, which are these ancient antagonists of the Outlands that have been imprisoned uh, behind something called the Sharn Wall. Uh, a lot of what about uh, the Faerim are largely a mystery, and we've only caught glimpses of that. But the Faerim, they play a big role in what happened uh, over the last week and a half or so. Um, so... Let's kick things off by talking about the elephant in the room. And by that, I mean what happened at the Void Pools. Uh, Luke? Yes. What uh, happened at the Void Pools? Well, uh, the Buddy Brigade, our Sunday team, which is really just kind of doing whatever we want to right now, uh, tried to help sometimes, but also sometimes trying to make friends. Uh, we decided to go to the Void Pools to both look for Trixie Alana and also to try and find out some more about Velas of the Void, because Cleaver is one of the people who directly influenced Velas's reaction, both in that she vomited destroying priceless artifacts and also talked everybody out from being murdered back in the tomb right then and there. And Cleaver is, of course, your character, Luke. Yes, my second character. Yes. So the party got ambushed by two ghouls, as well as the Void Pools, which themselves were sort of like sentient portals that were able to move around. So it was not just like, oh, we need to avoid these circles of death. It was, oh, uh, these things are going to actively try and eat us. And also the ghouls have magic so we are kind of outnumbered and on this map we are stuck in a corner which yeah. did not work out well especially since we don't have a lot of fighters but the fighters that we do have are mostly melee and so people just kept getting stuck and then they had to try and swim 
out of the current and if they swam out of the current of the void pool that dealt them damage which posed a major problem to mama who is cleaver's ranger pet who is a cave badger because mama got sucked in and we're at the point where ranger animals quickly start to just be oh here's a small meat shield that we're going to have for like the start of the battle hope nothing bad happens to them mama in getting absorbed into the void pool had enough damage that if she tried to swim out she would have died and so she just sort of let herself sink in so to explain from a mechanical sense what was going on with these void pools these void pools uh were discovered during a previous trip through an area known as the sunken swamp and uh they had an interesting mechanic attached to them uh i repurposed these from a kobold press monster um but the void pools basically um they attempted to suck people into another plane so once you were and they were semi-sentient as sentient as you know slimes can be um so once a person got sucked into the void pool you could try to resist the pool of the void itself um thus taking necrotic damage um, but uh, that allowed you to try to pull yourself out of the void pool. If you didn't resist, you would get sucked further into the void. You wouldn't suffocate, you wouldn't take any damage, but if you lasted three turns inside the void pool itself, well, what would end up happening? Either one of you can answer, because it happened to both of you. Uh, you end up in a jail cell at the bottom of the void pool which happened to mama first and then cleaver got sucked in saw that her companion was in and just dove down into the pool itself and figured oh once i get to the bottom of this i'll find a way out that did not happen and then yeah it was not great the party ended up having to run away not before though malkador decided to try and be a hero and find out what happened. Well, so so we, we were able to dispatch the ghouls without too, too much uh, difficulty. And, you know, by that point, we were able to outrun the oozes. But, um, you know, Latorin had fallen pretty deep in and she had seen Mama. And I was in the ooze at one point and gotten out and had also seen both of you in this other plane. And, uh, I mean, Malpador was really, uh, you know, we, we, we tried to think of some different ways, you know, could we put a rope into the ooze and get a rope in, uh, down to, through the portal? The oozes would not take the rope. Uh, we tried using Mage Hand and rope. Uh, that also didn't work. Um, so uh, Malpador really thought, uh, you know, he, he took a little bit of a leap of uh, faith there and went in uh, after Cleaver in part because he had a pretty decent idea of where the portal was. And, uh, you know, for reasons, for his own personal reasons, he uh, he felt a bit of responsibility or um, uh, I'll just say he did not want Cleaver to experience what he thought Cleaver was going to experience. And now <laughs> we're both lost forever. So we will we will dive, dig a little bit deeper into that encounter. We We could legitimately spend probably this entire podcast talking about the void pools and what happens next to both uh, Cleaver and Malkador, who is Mike's character. But uh, we have a few other a few other sessions happened that we want to 
cover first to keep our intrepid listeners up to date on the Outlands. So we'll 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 get back into the void pools because that that's a was a very unexpected plot twist, even even for myself, and I was the one who designed that encounter. So, uh, what else happened in the Outlands, you ask, besides two party members getting sucked into another plane and basically getting written out of the campaign? Well, I I guess I will tell you. The first thing that happened was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Tuesday group is kind of on this quest to find the Black Dragon, Trixie Alana, who um, is known as a lurker. She was hiding in the outpost, which is the camp of the Outlands Exploratory Company, uh, disguised as a common goblin. She was exposed, and then she ran. And uh, the Tuesday group, uh, the Toon Squad, assumed, uh, and probably rightfully so, that she is likely hiding in one of the many other civilizations here in the Outlands. So the first group they went to visit was the pirates. Now, the pirates are kind of um, a something of a discarded faction in the Outlands. Um, they were originally brought in. Uh, these were pirates who belonged to a ship called the Dragon's Maw, which is this large uh, ship made of dragon bone and led by one Captain Eliza Fortune, who seems to have these spooky mist powers. On a side note, Captain Eliza Fortune was meant to be kind of the villain of the um, fall, uh, fall 2020. But things took a unexpected turn with her, and um, she ends up fleeing uh, from the Outlands uh, with a portion of her crew, as uh, the majority of her crew, unfortunately, was... Um, mind-controlled by the Aboleth Doo-Wop. And uh, the Aboleth had these mind-control powers, and she realized that she was outmatched. So, um, the Aboleth is now dead. Uh, those pirates under his control um, have returned back to their semi-secret pirate base. So the Tomb Squad went looking to see if the pirates had seen this black dragon, knowing that she was probably hiding as something else. The bad news was Trixilana was not at the Pirate Cove. The also bad news was, was about half the pirates who uh, were living there, uh, they were, uh, the pirates were caught up in an internal conflict of sorts. Uh, half the pirates were still loyal to Captain Fortune, but the other half uh, mutinied, so to speak, and uh, basically had converted um, to the Arms of Paradise. Uh, the Tuesday squad who, uh, the, the Toon squad, they're the newest group in the Outlands. Uh, they're a little bit less established than the other groups. And I don't think they've, many of the members have ever encountered um, the Arms of Paradise before. So they thought they could reason with those pirates. It went poorly. Um, <laughs> uh, the diplomacy was never really an option, and it quickly turned into a pretty fierce gunfight um, in which uh, a lot of the party took some heavy damage. They they did manage to survive, and those pirates, loyal to Captain Fortune, um, are now considering, um, have basically um, put on the table an alliance between the Outlands Exploratory Company and the uh, Pirates of the Dragon's Mall. Um, conveniently enough, um, there is some need for some uh, naval support as 
Um, the arms of paradise seem to have controlled the ocean that surrounds the outlands uh, through the use of uh, a faction known as the Clockwork Army, which are these uh, clockwork constructs who have been scouring the outlands for something. The Toon Squad was the first to discover that uh, the uh, clockwork, uh, that the clockwork army, uh, their base appears to be at the bottom of the ocean. And so there is some necessity of uh, basically getting to wherever the clockwork army is so they can get killed um, because the clockwork army needs to die. So that is what happened uh, with the, the Tuesday squad. Um, Mike, while you didn't participate in this mission, um, you did uh, listen. So why don't you dig into what the terror team did last week? Of course, it's it's always a lot of fun to listen into the the other groups and just get a, it's like a, a a different slice of life. Um, so so the terror team undertook a uh, kind of the the return to Granacht. Um, the the great goat of the woods has uh, I don't know how you all would describe it, but. Um, persuaded Saffron, uh, the, the fawn character, to, to help with preparations for an upcoming uh, festival. Um, and, and, and so the party, um, I guess even before they got to Granacht, uh, they encountered um, uh, an ambush by the Clockwork Army. Uh, this was very interesting just the week before... Hey. Did I get a that point right? Of order, a point of order. It was actually Arms of Paradise cultists... You're right wielding clockwork army weaponry. And so they were taking the same path they had the week before where they had destroyed an Arms of Paradise caravan and encountered the Arms of Paradise wielding some kind of clockwork contraption that was, I don't know, a fireball bazooka. Uh, Very unpleasant. Uh, But they were able to make their way through and dispatch that threat they eventually made it to the village, and um, you know the village had the villagers had requested that they head to uh, a sacred fountain and recover. You're going to have to refresh my memory, Christian, exactly what artifact it was. Um, but there were some uh, dog. Or go ahead. Well, so the 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 Friday group they were just kind of summoned to clear out these dogs. Um, it was a rather mundane mission, to be honest. There's there's do- wild dogs in the goat's wood. Um, so, um, and in exchange for doing that, they would get information from the great goat of the woods. And one of the things they asked, they asked for the location of the head of the clockwork army, which was another piece of evidence in addition to the Tuesday group's mission about the, the undersea base or undersea location of the clockwork army. But uh, they made their way into the woods, and they, they soon, you know, encountered uh, traces of these dogs. They, uh, there was a little bit of time spent trying to set up various traps, uh, but ultimately, uh, through the power of speak with animals, um, they were able to start communicating uh, with these dogs. And they weren't just normal dogs. Nothing in the Outlands is ever really uh, normal, I've discovered. Um, but but they, they were almost somewhat misshapen, um, limping strangely. Uh, These were not uh, normal dogs, but they were intelligent. And um, once the party was able to communicate them, uh, the dogs were able to take them to their master. Um, 
who turned out to be um, none other than what had up until this point been a very mysterious character, uh, and that was the Bone Taker. So um, all of the parties have encountered various shambling uh, bone creations and various monstrosities, and uh, the Terror Team was the first to actually kind of make contact with the Bone Taker itself, or at least an avatar of it. And they, they really gathered some very interesting information. Uh, first, uh, the Bone Taker was in this part of the world because it was trying to strike an alliance with the Great Goat of the Woods. And as the Terror Team dug into that, they made uh, a couple of big revelations. One was that the Bone Taker was, in truth, Brack the Bone Taker, who was one of the four heralds of the Feyrim. So we've encountered a couple other of the heralds, or at least their servants. Um, but they also learned that Brack was not aligned to the Feyrim and was seeking out an alliance with a great goat of the woods to, to battle against the Feyrim. So um, the, the party was really encountered with, uh, you know, maybe a, a, an interesting uh, dilemma in that, you know, the bone taker is, they take bones. They're not, um, you know, a very pleasant entity, but they are potentially aligned against the great evil of the Feyrim. So that was a really interesting um, discussion. Uh, I don't think they ultimately committed to any particular course of action other than that they would carry the message, this request for an alliance, to the Great Goat of the Wood. And, um, you know, the Great Goat of the Wood is still very mysterious in terms of what it is and what its uh, intentions are. So... A lot remains to be seen there. It, uh, that's that entire session was kind of had to be uh, redone on the fly. Uh, Darcy, who plays Saffron, um, uh, Darcy is my wife, and um, unfortunately, she came down with food poisoning, basically right in the middle of all of this stuff. So there was supposed to be some like combat encounters, and since you know I was helping out, um, uh, you know Darcy try to deal with this food poisoning there there became some lore dumps instead so you know i i think that most of the party was okay with that though yeah <laughs> like, well, well, it, it was just kind of funny you know poor poor darcy had food sickness and they're just like oh yeah saffron can you uh speak with animals oh saff can you move earth um <laughs> it was funny <laughs> yeah Dar saffron has quickly become like the uh strong utility character for for the terror team um, as druids are wont to do, druids are probably sneakily the most powerful class in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. Utility uh, slash war criminal. Yes, yes. My if uh, if you listen to last week's episode, you know that Saffron murdered a man. Um, but you can you can find more information about that on episode two of Tales from the Outlands, available now on iTunes. Well. Technically, Yalmir and Falcon. Because yeah. numbering doesn't mean anything. Also going into interject here that the Buddy Brigade's normal, what would have been their second adventure this week, was replaced with a outpost-wide meeting, which was lots of loud discussions about what to do, planning-wise. 
Yeah, that was actually Paul's suggestion. Uh, Paul was our guest last week on the podcast, and Paul had actually brought up about a month ago that, you know, there may be some value in trying to get as many of the players together just to kind of, like, do some theory crafting, um, come up with, like, you know, maybe prioritize certain, you know, plot lines that need to be resolved because... uh, that we have a slack that everyone can communicate with, but um, just based on the fact that, you know, one, for one thing, everyone plays, you know, there are three different time zones represented in this game. And uh, also, you know, different people are online at different times, you know, so some of the communication between the different parties could be a little bit better. And so, um, that meeting was designed and we're going to hold it about once a month just to try to um, make sure everyone's on the same page. And I think it turned out a lot of like valuable information. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it um, some people um, put some things together um, that wouldn't have been put together. Otherwise um, there was, um, you know, I, I think people kind of like figured out like who's on the company side, who's not on the company side, there was some points of contention, um, but you know, I think I think that was a valuable meeting. I recommend just as a dungeon master that everyone, like every once in a while, have your players actually like sit down, like you know, you can frame it at like around a fire. Nothing's about to come out and jump at them. Maybe they're at a tavern um, and just talk, you know like come up with strategy about what the player should really do next. Um, it, it really, it usually bears fruit. Um, but anyways, as, as a player, it was, it was very helpful. Um, you know, just to even sit down and kind of lay out that, Oh yeah, there are about 30 plus factions that we need to get a handle on and, uh, to start, um, you know, figuring out what our, what our plans are. We went from a conspiracy board to a conspiracy spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to unveil our new characters. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that here in, in a little bit, though. Um, let's, let's wrap up the recaps first. So mm-hmm. um, because the Sunday group didn't have a session, we actually jumped into uh, back over to the Toon Squad, the Tuesday group. Um, and... This was actually like low key the the biggest session of the last like two weeks. Like yeah, sure, Malkador and Cleaver are stuck in another dimension. Psh, whatever. The Tuesday squad, the the Toon squad, they really found themselves in the thick of it. Um, after failing to find Trixie Alana at the Pirates, they visited the Crab Folk, which live on the Vermilion beaches. Um, the crab folk were originally enemies of the Outlands Exploratory Company, uh, but now they are one of the more steadfast allies. Members of the company realized why the crab folk were hostile and resolved it, and now the company and the crab folk are friends. So they, they went to this friendly camp and discovered that the crab folk, who are usually these like semi-nomadic people, um, they build sandcastles. Uh, they live in them for a bit, and then they, they move on. And the crab folk had all gathered together in one place, which was strange. And they learned the reason why was because the crab folk had an innate 
sense that there was a Faerim loose in the Outlands. Now, in our campaign, the Crabfolk, which are an established D&D um, monster class, I suppose, um, in our campaign, the Crabfolk were created by Falcon. Uh, Falcon is kind of the central deity to the Outlands, um, and Falcon created the Crabfolk to serve as soldiers in his war against the Faerim. And so as part of that, they have an, an, they have this innate ability to sense when Faerim are present. And they knew that a Faerim was somewhere in the Outlands. Shortly after establishing that Trixialana was not amongst the crab folk, the encampment was attacked by these insectoid creatures known as Eye Eaters. Um, the party was not prepared for just how hard those eye eaters hit. And uh, unfortunately, uh, one member of the party learned why they were called eye eaters. Uh, the cleric Kaelin lost her eye and nearly died um, while fighting the eye eaters. If not for the fact that the um, party's wizard Ferris um, used a one-time use reroll, um, which was uh, given to him uh, by uh, avatars of a cat god. Um, very complicated. We'll we'll talk about that some other time. But basically, if Ferris hadn't forced me to re-roll an attack, uh, Caitlin would have been auto-killed. She was dead. Instead, she only lost an eye. So, you know, I think people will take that trade-off. The eye-eaters were eventually driven back uh, out of the encampment. Uh, many eyes were lost. Several crab folk were lost. And then it happened. A Faerim appeared above the Crabfolk encampment. Now, the Faerim, these are established Dungeons & Dragons monsters. Um, they um, are most commonly associated with... Um, um, oh, shoot, I can't remember. Uh, uh, basically, they, they were found in the ancient past of the Forgotten Realms. And they are these windsock-like creatures with four arms, no eyes a large mouth filled with teeth and uh, what appear to be petals that line the outside of their mouth. Uh, very nasty creatures that can actually consume magic. And one of these had appeared over the Crab Folk encampment the first time a Faerim has appeared in the Outlands in thousands of years. And it issued a warning to the Crab Folk, basically to stay out of the Faerim's business to not rise up against it, um, to basically remain spectators. In the aftermath of that, um, after the Faerim moved away from the encampment and basically the crab folk sort of regained their senses, the crab folk took up uh, the Toon Squad's offer of moving their encampment uh, clo to be closer to the outpost. Um, thus, increasing the size of this small city made up of different factions, including the company itself, um, and just basically increase the population by a few hundred. So, you know, that was that was certainly a session. I mean, Christian, at the rate we're going, we're going to be an entirely sea-based campaign in, in another six months. Don't even get me started about that. <laughs> oh. oh, man. let me Let me tell you something about the ocean and the outlands this is a landlocked campaign 
and this Tuesday group, because one player, um, he actually, in real life, he owns a boat. And so he decided that his character also has a boat. And by God, has he found a way to use that damn boat almost every week. It's, it's, it's quite frankly, it's impressive. Um, boat. It's, I'm going to sink that boat. I'm going to sink it. I'm going to sink it hard. No, we, ju- we just got to give it uh, wings and uh, make the transition to Spelljammer. <laughs> uh, oh, Spelljammer, my favorite of the D&D campaign settings. In case, in case you haven't figured this out, if you've, if you've been listening to this, camp- uh, this podcast for a couple of episodes, uh, this, this campaign um, cribs heavily from um, a few different uh, established Dungeons & Dragons things. Uh, the biggest one actually is Planescape. Uh, as uh, the Outlands is a confluence of the planes. Um, but um, we we have to take our own twist on it. If I were to do Spelljammer, we would certainly, certainly have our own twist on that as well. But enough about Spelljammer. Let's, let's return to the elephant in the room. And I am, of course, once again talking about Mike, Luke, your characters are gone. Hell yeah. So I, I suppose we, we should begin so that you can properly mourn the loss of um, Malkador. Mike, why don't you briefly describe who Malkador was? Yeah, you know, um, I, I love Warlocks. Warlocks are one of uh, probably my favorite class in 5th uh, edition. Um, I, I love their versatility um, and, and so forth, but... I wanted to play a warlock that was uh, maybe a little bit different. Uh, some would say horribly unoptimized. Um, so Malkador is, among other things, a, a warlock without Eldritch Blast. Uh, <laughs> he, in terms of you know his looks and his styles, it, it's a little bit of um, a, a little bit of a showboat, a little bit of Van, a Van Helsing type character, a general. A smarmy hunter of evil who has a, a a pretty high opinion of himself, and, and of course, like any good warlock, uh, you know, has you know a, a crippling secret or dark past uh, to conceal and or manage. Uh, Malkador is very much a warlock in that regard, um, but he, he's been a lot of fun. He uh, has gotten a bit of a reputation as the the party ass kisser. Um, in part because he has very high charisma. Um, and also in part because that's kind of just uh, me as a human being, uh, my natural disposition. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, he, he has large bows. And normally, uh, I do remember our very first encounter with a corpse flower, uh, Malkador entirely breaking it because corpse flowers can't see uh, <laughs> the same length of a heavy crossbow. And you have, and because of a, and you eventually took a feat that basically meant that you didn't have a maximum range, right? Or you yeah, didn't I have disadvantage. The penalty for 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 long range. So I did have a heavy crossbow, which is six hundred feet, and now, uh, you know, until recently had a um, longbow, which is eight hundred feet, which, when used correctly, can break a large number of encounters. Yeah. Remember when the party just pinned down that plant and zombie thing? 
yeah. the entire combat and was just, oh, let's <laughs> let the rage people shoot at this. <laughs> yep. Good times. Yeah, yeah. Malkador, Malkador was one of my personal favorite characters. Um, I always appreciated that Malkador treated my powerhouses with the, the proper, like, deference and respect. Um, you know, like... In Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, like as a DM, you try to establish threats that, you know, actually make the party worried. Of course, because of how the nature of Dungeons and Dragons and the um, reputation that the game gets, because a lot of time people just want to laugh around and, you know, joke and stuff like that. They quickly defang those threats. Um, that happens in the Outlands as well. Uh, but Malkador always found a way to um, flatter um, and, and, you know, um, make, make those villains feel like villains in, in some sort of way. And it usually turned out to his favor as well. Well, and, 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 and this really goes into Malkador's uh, backstory without giving too much away. Um, you know, Malkador was in a position where he, he had to, you know, do some good old groveling to even uh, be alive. And so um, he, he, he understands well that there are incredibly powerful and evil things, but also that those things can be, uh, that they're still sentient. You can, you can have a discussion with them and use that to your advantage, no matter how, you know, ancient or powerful anything is, they, they still uh, have, ways to get around that um through the clever use of the persuasion skill <laughs> so what was so before the void pools happened what what did you think was going to happen to malkador over the course of the campaign because unbeknownst to most of the party um malkador was kind of in the middle of like uh, his own personal quest he, he really was, and he, he made a lot of progress on that front. And, you know, as, as I alluded to earlier, he was actually, you know, uh, at the outpost meeting in front of everyone prepared to do the big reveal on his, uh, his personal situation and how that tied into everything else that was going on. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we saw over the course of the campaign a few, you know, critical moments where he learned important things uh, when we were with the library spirit, he got one important piece of information. He got a second very important piece of information uh, from Cartram. So, you know, we, we all know warlocks are bound by pacts, and uh, this Malkador's pact was not one entered willingly. And part of his, you know, he was forced to go into the Outlands, but he also, while he was there, was trying to find a way to get out of his pact. And he had. He'd identified if not the exact way, he knew the steps he needed to take and had people who could help him um, do that. Um, and he was just going to kind of ask the party for their help. Um, at the same time, Malkador, um, you know, he didn't know anything about the Outlands going into it, but he really grew uh, kind of attached to it in the way that, you know, he saw here a realm that was kind of, at a conflux of the planes and in many ways focused around keeping at bay this ancient evil, the Feyrim. And he, 
he, he didn't have any particular reason to feel responsible for that, but nevertheless, he felt that there was a need for someone to protect the Outlands, and um, he, he wanted to try and be that. But in order to do that, he had to um, disentangle himself from his, uh, you know, his pact. I do think it is kind of fascinating that the Buddy Brigade more or less started with three different Warlock characters. Because there's Malkador, there was Kor, rest in peace, and there's Dr. Worm, who is now the only surviving Warlock. And He's who actually, therefore... Dr. Worm is actually a sorcerer. I always thought that he was a warlock. That well, part of that is because when the the player who plays Doctor Worm, um, when he, this was his, this is actually his first D and D campaign. He's never played D and D before, um, and so his first time, he didn't really know what was going on. He kind of got thrown into a very intense session, as we alluded <laughs> to last week. Um, but uh, in that session, you know, he assumed that he was a warlock and his spells, spells of choice, you know, kind of, you know, because he, he's he's turned magic missile into his signature spell. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he, he uses magic missile way too much to be a warlock because warlocks only have like two spell slots. And don't get yeah. magic missile. <laughs> yeah, they do get Eldritch Blast. Okay, no, that explains. So, so, as a matter of fact, there are no warlocks currently in the Outlands. Well, it's oh, no. a shame because, you know, warlocks have so many utility things. Like, you know, one of Malkador's Eldritch Invocations was, um, I'm going to forget the name, but it essentially allows him to, or Eyes of the Runekeeper, which allows mm-hmm. him to read all writing. And so... The Outlands is littered with ancient charm speak, which nobody understands, but Malgador became the de facto, you know, any party had a book they need read or something translated, um, you know, Malgador had to spend his time um, doing that for them. Mm-hmm. And, or all those times that Core moved boxes. Exactly. Yes, good old good old core who's now being set up to be the big bad of the campaign. One one of these days we'll really dig into the the core situation because you know, I've been I've been uh, I I guess spoiler alert, you know, um the the Outlands campaign started because we're all in a pandemic. We can have 18 person D&D campaigns because no one has anything else to do. No one can leave their house. The pandemic is entering its it's starting to round the corner. Vaccines are being distributed. Um, and I realized not too terribly long ago that this 18 person campaign probably won't remain an 18 person campaign. We, we aren't going to get 18 people participating weekly as consistently as we have right now. Um, so I, I'm trying to start to craft a, um, a jumping off point, so to speak, so that, you know, by the time this pandemic is over, we have a very satisfying Outland story. The Outlands will continue. Um, we have lots of stories to tell in the Outlands, but I, I really want people to feel like, you know, I'm vaccinated. I want to go outside. They can do so and feel no shame about it. Uh, and, Mike, Mike? Yes. And also other players who are listening to this. I think Christian means that he is going to make the Clockwork Army attack the outpost again and just kill a bunch of PCs this time. We need to make sure that does not happen. 
We uh, need to destroy all the notes that Christian has on the Clockwork Army. Well, no, so I mean in secret slack. It, it's the price we pay for um, recruiting NPCs. You know, it's really like spring cleaning. Oh, the camp has too many uh, NPCs and different people running around. Let's send in another army. So many NPCs. of them have names. NPCs only have two purposes: to give players lore and to make players feel sad when they die. <laughs> But back back to back to Malkador and Cleaver, because let, let's talk a bit about what happened. It, it was only, I guess, going on two weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Malkador and Cleaver are both gone from the Outlands. They are they are no longer in the Outlands. They are in another plane of existence. Um. What the heck was going through your head as this was starting to play out? Because I was shocked by how all of this went down. Uh, really, it was Mama got stuck in the pit and Mama was going to be stuck in a position where she was going to die, got sucked all the way down. And I think as Cleaver, Cleaver was in the position or was mainly just thinking oh okay i need to just go in i'll save mama everything will be fine and just dove in without any real concern and and for malkador you know piecing together the information from what he had seen and what others had seen and also based off some recent uh kind of conversations he'd had with uh, his patron actually um, and, you know, knowledge we gleaned about Bellas of the Void. So what was going through Malkador's head was, okay, this is a portal to another plane. This plane is connected to Bellas of the Void. Bellas of the Void is very strong, and that's bad. Uh, and, and Malkador seeing Cleaver fall in, um, Malkador was very much... Um, Malkador had been the person that had gotten caught up in, in a trap, something similar to this, and that's why he's in the pack that he's in. And so he he did not want that to happen to Cleaver. Um, Cleaver was one of the the only kind of outland individuals where we had a couple of heart-to-hearts, didn't get too deep into things, but we talked about kind of both of our backgrounds a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so he felt maybe more strongly about Cleaver than than others and didn't want Cleaver to end up in the same fate. So it was part that, and it was also partly, you know, Malkador's supreme confidence in his own abilities uh, to be able to just talk his way out of whatever it was on the other side of that portal. It is kind of also fascinating in the kind of a dropped uh, version of the Ellie episode that we had, there had been a conversation that we didn't, have wouldn't in the version that made it to publication so to speak where it was cleaver has more of a relationship to malkador and ellie's characters than uh ellie and malkador have as characters which is fascinating because y'all are married (laughs) no and it was i was just listening to that episode the other day and you know she was talking about uh her potential father situation and uh uh, Christian, you know, you said you were going to have words with me, and then uh, Shay immediately said, oh, I've caused Malkador to get killed, haven't I? And look where we are. <laughs> so, I, I will admit, 
when this scenario played out, I knew there was a chance that someone was going to get stuck in a void because so spoiler a little bit. The, you guys are, are your characters are now level five. Um, it, it's becoming a little bit harder to kill you guys. Um, I, I don't try. I When I build these encounters, I don't try to, you know, like, oh, ho, ho, I'm going to kill off a PC tonight. But, you know, the Outlands is a dangerous campaign. Uh, we've we've had two PC deaths. Um, but, you know, competent level five characters in fifth edition, they're they're pretty hard to kill. Um, so I was looking for ways like, OK, how do I come up with a scenario in which a character can basically be taken out of the campaign without actually having to bother with them dying? Um, so the void pools very specifically had a three turn, thus mimicking the death saves um, uh, format, uh, like mechanically. And um, when this thing started to play out and Mama refused to like get out of the void pool. And, you know, there was 50 of 50% of that was she had taken a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other half of it was, I think that you guys underestimated just how much HP those void pools had. Yeah. I, we, we killed one of them off. Yeah. Well, and I think we prioritized whether it was wise or not. We prioritized the ghouls, um, Mm -hmm. due to their intelligence and spell casting and, um, you know, badness. Well, and had Cleaver had one more round before getting sucked in and seeing Mama in the situation, she was going to finally pull out the Dragon Dagger, which is something that she has had for, I think, like, since her second mission. Yeah, pretty pretty early on. Uh... The, the Dragon Dagger is a lore piece that allows the user to summon the Dragon Ashmaker to help with them. Uh, Cleaver is technically promised to only use it when uh, she has a meal that she considers worthy enough of the Dragon Ashmaker, but uh, she understands what their relationship is currently and knows that it's better to have a living chef who you have to go out of the way to help than a chef that is stuck in a shadow dimension forever. And yes, uh, when... um. I guess yeah, we can we can talk about where Malkador and Cleaver are. Um, spoiler alert: um, you know Malkador and Cleaver are not actually dead; they are trapped in the Shadowfell. Um, now, the Shadowfell has been mentioned previously in the campaign um, about a month ago, maybe three weeks ago. Um, I've time is fuzzy in COVID land. Um, the group encountered some Shatter Kai. Um, uh, who were roaming uh, around the Outlands, actually looking for Velez of the Void. And, uh, you know, they revealed that Velez of the Void had, quote-unquote, escaped from the Shadowfell and was lurking about somewhere in the Outlands. And um, and when Malkador and Cleaver got sucked into the Shadowfell, um, after the technically the session was ended, I kept Mike and Luke on, and we played through the little scenario, revealing what happened to them. So Malgador and Cleaver are now in the Shadowfell. They were found, uh, they, they actually, the room that they were stuck in was the room that Velez of the Void was being held. And Velez of the Void somehow used her void magic to transport herself across planes to the Outlands. 
Um, and the, uh, the aftermath of that was the void pools themselves. So whenever she uses this, this particular form of void magic, she actually leaves um, residue, so to speak, behind that leads back to where she came from. So Malkador and Cleaver are in the Shadowfell. They were quickly found by members of the same Shatterkai group that are searching for Velez of the Void, and they offered to train Malkador and Cleaver um, in the ways of the Shadowfell. So we don't know when Malkador and Cleaver will return. Uh, that information has not been fully revealed yet. Uh, I think that I, Mike and Luke have some idea. We're not going to spoil that because we have other players who listen to that. But how do you think the Shadowfell, their, the, that time spent in the Shadowfell is going to impact Malkador and Cleaver? Well, for Malkador, he, he's actually not too upset for a couple of reasons. One of those is that, you know, the Shatter Kai are in possession of the kinds and types of information um, that, that he needs to better understand his patron and extricate himself from that situation. Uh, further, uh, you know, so, so on the one hand, it's lore. This is lots of good lore for, for Malkador to, to scoop up and put into his brain. Um, and, and I think the other thing is it gives him... Um, you know, uh, Malkador likes, likes power, um, you know, and that way he is a warlock. Um, and, and so the ability to gain the powers of another plane are, uh, are also appealing to him. And I think he's also interested, you know, the, the seven seals of the Outlands are tied to seven different planes, but there's not a seal tied to, to the Shadowfell. And, you know, knowing that one of the seals has already been broken, Malkador is already trying to think about, well, if we are to restore order or, you know, peace in the Outlands, um, are we going to need to figure out how to make a new seal? And if so, does that mean we have to go to a different plane? Um, so he's already, you know, trying to think through some of those things, too. What about you, Cleaver? How do you think uh, the Shadowfell is going to impact, uh, well, Cleaver? <laughs> uh, you know, I think Cleaver and Mom are just going to have one wacky adventure in the Shadowfell after another. They're going to see how far you can shadow fall in the Shadowfell. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, see, I have to imagine Cleaver is going to have a little bit of a hard time because of because the Shadowfell just deadens the tastes of things and sucks joy out, and, you know, it's oh, no. harder. It, it's mid-colonial British cooking? <laughs> <laughs> it's banger uh, mash, you know, for, for the foreseeable future. You know, it's a good thing that she has all of that salt that she brought with her. Everyone's going to just hail her as a genius, and... Uh, you does know, have, she does have a ton of salt, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. If there's one thing that I learned from podcasts, it's always have a bag of salt because you never know when you're going to travel in time. And chances are, if your information wouldn't be helpful enough to help you to get a living, a bag of salt of about a pound or two is enough to get a good financial start. So both of you have new characters that will be introduced that were technically introduced uh to the outlands uh last sunday during the 
the company-wide meeting, and we'll see their first action um, this this coming week. Um, we'll we'll talk more about those two new characters on our next episode. But now, hypothetically, Balcador and Cleaver aren't dead. There's a good chance they're going to come back and be reintroduced to the campaign at some point. Do you think that you'll go back to Malkador and Cleaver when they return? Definitely. Uh, I think Cleaver is probably going to come out changed depending on how long it takes and how she leaves. But I think it's going to be something where there are some stories that are Cleaver stories and there are some stories where it's going to be my new boy flop arm stories. Yeah, I think Flop Arms an, an icon and immediate fan favorite. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, for me, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that Malkador will definitely be back in the spotlight. You know, if, if for no other reason than to drag the party into resolving my own personal issues, which will, will be barrels of fun, uh, I can assure um, everybody. Um, but, but, you know, I'm excited for Illyria too. You know, this is kind of a very, um, and, and, and Christian, I think this is a really good kind of like low cost way to try out other characters. Cause like, like many Dungeons and Dragons players, I always have like, you know, three or four or five, uh, concepts or backup characters at any point in time. And this gives me a chance to try Illyria out and see, um, kind of where she leads and, uh, actually have someone with a decent ac for the buddy brigade yeah that's yeah. true well and you have healing abilities correct uh yeah healing uh we got magic items we got healing we got a 20 an ac of 20 we got other spells too that's i mean just just having healing now cleaver eventually you know in recent weeks since she leveled up cleaver could heal but um well flop arm can heal as well yeah so we we went from having cleaver relying on cleaver to do all the healing to actually having hypothetical healers in the party um what a shift what Mm -hmm. what a what a and this is the second time that a group has lost multiple members um when um the terror team lost a character uh the the rogue cisatrix um, she she died during a boss fight, and in the aftermath of that, uh, Darcy decided to retire her first character, who was an arcane archer. She really was she liked the character, but she did not like the fighter class because the fighter class they they do one thing they're they're a kind of boring class. They fight, um, so she she swapped it out with a druid, and um, yeah, so and so both. Saffron and um, the other new character, Roka, who's a barbarian, both made their debuts in the the uh, the session that actually introduced the Clockwork Army. And so now we're going to have a uh, basically another one of those type of missions in which one third of a party has been swapped out for new characters. Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. I'm really looking forward to Sunday. We're going to move on to our deep dive. Uh, which is uh, we're going to talk about the Feywild. Um, now, the Feywild plays a pretty big role in the the Outlands. Um, and um, Mike, you were the one who chose the Feywild as our deep dive subject. So why did you pick the Feywild? 
Yeah, I, the Feywild is interesting, but, well, you know, not only has it directly led to the deaths of one character so far, it's the plane we have uh, traveled to the most, at least the Buddy Brigade has had several Feywild adventures or Fey-adjacent uh, adventures, including the infamous um, uh, maze, um, the Wicker Maze, um, but but also, you know, from a Malkador perspective, he is somewhat interested in the Feywild, in part because it's one of the seals. We, we know there is a seal connected to the Feywild, and that's one of the seals we know the least about, um, but also because of um, the Gridded One. Um, Malkador is a, a character that values, particularly because of the nature of his relationship with his patron, he really values freedom so that's why you know for example when Malkador got trapped by the bank uh he that was probably the maddest people have seen him because he just doesn't like to be deprived of his freedom um so he he's really interested in the freedom that the gridded one seems to live this uh beautiful orange uh uh arch fay um so so th those were you know a couple of my reasons now Wait a second. Did I did I hear you correctly, Mike? Did you say the gritted one, a large, furry, orange archfey? Uh, not only large and orange, but huge eyes, huge eyes that stare into and and beyond your soul, and a a large uh one would say perhaps belly that can move in a in a very novel uh, fashion. Um, who, who knows what, what Christian will come up with next? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I know as the creator of the gridded one, I was, you know, that's a wholly original character. And it most certainly, it is, is most certainly not a beloved mascot, not only of the Philadelphia Flyers, but also of America herself. I've of course, speaking about gritty, um, who is indeed the gritted one. It's just straight up, we're not even trying to hide it. The gritted one is is gritty. Long may he reign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, this this actually so I we we haven't really revealed any secrets on this episode of the uh the of uh Tales from the Outlands. And you know, I I, I like to reveal at least one secret. So um Mike, do you want to talk about the origins of the gridded one for for a moment. You you may have to remind me. Are you talking about when we first met the gridded one? Oh, it was before the gridded one. Uh, so you on our 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 Slack. Um, the this was I believe uh, this this was election day, twenty twenty. So let's dial it back a little bit. <laughs> election day, twenty twenty. Uh, America was on the precipice of ruin and chaos and just a, a total and complete collapse. And then in Philadelphia, he emerged. Gritty saved America. Actually, the city of Philadelphia, you know, was the turning point in the Pennsylvania election. And as those votes came in, uh, the good people of America turned to a savior, Gritty, and you when we were making a bunch of gritty memes on Slack and you shot me a message asking if you could make gritty your new warlock patron. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> and, and I did totally in jest, you know, gritted the gritted or gritty has big arch fey energy is what you yes. think. Yes. And so you guys were getting ready to go into the fey wild. Um, I was going to introduce another uh, arch fang. Um, I can't even remember what it was. But when you made that joke, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and, and also, I think the gridded one probably had the best entrance of any NPC in, of the campaign so far. So let's, and we'll, we'll talk about that because that, that ties into why the Feywild is so interesting in our, our campaign. The Feywild is not ruled by the Archfey. Now, traditionally in D&D lore and elsewhere, you know, the Feywild is not exactly unique to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, the, the Feywild seems to be controlled by the, the Archfey, these capricious lords of high magic, um, you know, that, you know, uh, represent, you know, you know, you, like your Titanias, your, your, um, Oberons, um, your, your, your unseely courts. In our campaign, the Archfey lost a rather brutal war, um, to a colony of mind flayers. The, the iconic Dungeons and Dragons monsters who have psionic abilities and like to eat brains. Um, the Shadow Court, um, as they became known, uh, they, they, the Mind Flayers kind of took on the identity of some of these Archfey, um, or you know, now somehow possessed that Archfey energy, so to speak. And they've become the Shadow Court, and they've basically turned the Feywild into this realm of horrors. Um, like, the best description I can think of is like, um, like big um, killer clowns from outer space. You know, yeah, just everything's awful and it's all in this like kind of sadistic, manic sense. So the Buddy Brigade went into the Feywild uh, for, for a couple of reasons and they encountered a member of the Shadow Court. Now, the first time they encountered the Shadow Court, a member of the Buddy Brigade died. Core um, got a Mind Flare tadpole stuck in his head. So they were really playing with fire, and it looked like it was going to happen again. Um, the the member of the Shadow Court, a Mind Flayer, cornered the wizard Ferris, um, Ferris being a gnome, and he was gone. Just absolutely 100%. He was dead. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was an incredibly uh, tense uh, session. You know, we started with, poor Ellie having a, you know, a face steal a bone from her finger in exchange for safeguarding a weird flower. Uh, and then, you know, we have to watch in horror as Ferris is two seconds away from becoming a gnome Slurpee. And who should come and rescue uh, Ferris from certain death? Like, guaranteed 100% he's dead, but the gridded one. You know, came, snapped the Mind Flayer's neck, uh, drove off the Mind Flayer's minions and simply um, stared at the party and kind of created a hole in the Feywild for them to escape through. And those events also led into uh, the great uh, Tarst oh, Jesus. problem. Yeah. Wow, everything really is connected. Um, 
We'll we'll talk about Tarst. I I got a feeling um we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk more about that because I feel like that that's a good thing to talk about next episode since uh your new character flop arm directly uh ties into that um as does what the buddy brigade will be doing on sunday um but yeah so we have the shadow court they've taken over the Feywild. what what do you think that the shadow court's goals are i i think that's what's one of the the larger unknowns so you know obviously they're they're evil they're not going to be particularly friendly but um you know the axis by which i judge threats in the outlands or at least malkador tends to is you know what do they think about the seals if they're for protecting seals then you know i'm willing to forgive a certain amount of you know war crimes um but we don't really know enough about the shadow court um I think we can infer that they're probably, you know, the gridded one, for example, we know is related to the seal of the Feywild. Um, So they're probably not here to protect the seals. Um, So, but, but other than that, I I just don't think we have a lot of information on, um, on what their deal is. So another Feywild liker has logged in here. Uh, hello, Christian. And one of the things that is great and horrifying is that the Feywild itself is controlled by the court in the minds of the courtiers, usually the kings and the queens at the very top of the Seely and the Unseely court, the bright and happy court and the dark and gloomy court. And my concern is that if you have the elithid mind flayers taking over the court, they will be able to bend this entire plane to their will, and they will be able to use it as a weapon. Because if all the other fey creatures are creatures from the mind and creatures of illusion, and they are also being amplified by these elithids, and the elithids are also making more viable hosts for the, uh, tadpoles because not everything can take a tadpole then they can be making a massive army that is going to be a horrifying threat that we will have to deal with i don't think they are necessarily concerned about the Feyrim because they are also creatures from another dimension but i think it could be something where we may have to team up with the Feyrim against them before too long because it is a weaponized plane essentially so would you like would you guys like to know a little secret? Yes. The Feyrim and Mind Flayers come from the same native plane. Mm-hmm. They're both from, yeah, it's the far is it the far realm? Yeah, they both their their origins are both from the far realms. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're friends. Well, I I'm just pointing out a connection. Yep. You can take take that how you will. No, I, I think I'm worried about a weaponized plane, and we know that they're not disinterested in the prime material, in that it seems like the wicker maze was designed as a trap um, for, for people like us. So, um, you know, I don't know. But yeah, uh, I'll be. We'll be interested and horrified to learn their long-term plans. 
I, I, I will say that, you know, we, we mentioned this before, um, that, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, a sort of a jumping off point. Um, you know, the storylines that are very much in play right now, um, in the outlands, you know, are going to continue to escalate. Um, and the shadow court, I feel is a big enough threat that it deserves its like full blown story, not just kind of like the seasonal thing that we've been doing where they're like a threat. Like the the, the Shadow Core is certainly lurking out there and they are going to be a huge problem uh, for the Outlands at some point in the future. Um, it's going to be awful. And by awful, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for it. It's, it's going to be our next... Uh, probably, you know, after after some of the things kind of resolve in the Outlands, the, the Shadow Court is one of, uh, I got, I think in my master notes, there's there's four good stories, four good Outland stories that I want to tell, and the Shadow Court's one of them. Anyways. Well, that's our, that's our episode for tonight, guys. Um, so, yeah. Um, thank you very much for listening to Tales from the Outlands. Uh, thank you, Mike, for coming on and joining us this evening. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. If people want to find you online, where can you be found? Oh, gosh, yeah. So so in my non-Dungeons & Dragons time, I do love talking about public policy and higher education. You can find me on Twitter at jmikebartlett. Excellent. And Luke, where can people find you? You can find me and everything that I do at Luke Hare, L-U-K-E-H-E-R-R dot com, or I am on Twitter as at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G, where I have a number of podcasts, including the now-completed, 352-episode-long Multiversal Q podcast. It's a lot. Well, congratulations on completing that, by the way. It's never really done, Christian. <laughs> uh and of course you can find me on twitter at c hoffer c bus uh i actually write about dungeons and dragons professionally so if you want to uh find out more about the latest dungeons and dragons news there's actually a big news story broke this week about the first 2021 product of DD. you can read more about that at comicbook.com which is owned by cbs viacom um if you're still listening to this uh thank you very much um be sure to uh like us uh you know subscribe um subscribe to us on whatever your podcast listener of choices um review us you know that helps us get more exposure it helps more people find us um we are a brand new podcast we understand that our audience right now is rather small but we hope that this uh, podcast will grow and that the community will grow on and be sure to reach out to us. If you, you listen to the podcast, uh, let us know that you're listening and encourage us to keep this, you know, task going on and on and on. Oh, I mean, it made it to season. So it's going on until we just stop making it though. Also, if you do have feedback on the show itself, things that you would like to see, maybe things that need to be sped up or what have you, uh, feel free to leave us comments or reach out to any of us, either Christian or I on the Twitter. Well, and uh, with that, once again, thank you so much for listening. Um, until next time, keep adventuring. And remember, this is the last episode that will be in the unbearable weight of Nicolas Cage and other podcasts feed. 
So make sure to subscribe on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. We'll see you in the Outlands. Crab people are on your side.